Well, good morning. It's wonderful to be back together again this morning on this Lord's Day, singing praises together, having encouragement that Christ is ours forevermore. He has given us the keys of Zion City, and He will deliver us to it one day. We'll open your Bibles to the book of Genesis. This morning we are going to continue our walk through Genesis, looking at the first five verses of Genesis chapter 1. And so that I don't break our beloved Pastor Quinn's record for the longest sermon standing at a formidable 87 minutes, so that we don't do that today, we're going to look at the first day of creation here in the first five verses over the course of the next two sermons. This week we're going uh, to look at part one as we look at God's activities here on the first day, and next week will be part two where I hope uh, that we will be able to uh, look at, because Genesis is a book of beginnings, a book that uh, where Israel begins to learn about this God that delivered them, a book that explains how everything began, how man began, how sin came into the world, and how God began to accomplish uh, redemption of sinful men. Uh, next week, what I want to do is look at those redemptive themes that the Bible picks up on later, uh, but they pick up on them here from the very first day, the very first words of Scripture. But that's next week. This morning, we are going uh, to look at the first day of creation here in five points, focusing on God's activities here uh, in the first day, and each point corresponds uh, to its verse. Verse 1 is point 1, verse 2 is point 2, and so on and so forth. So our first point will be God creates, our second point, God hovers, our third point will be God speaks, our fourth God sees and separates, and our last point this morning will be God names. So may Christ help us and minister to us from the right hand of the Father by His Spirit this morning as we uh, seek to draw these things out from our text. Well, let's begin by reading our passage, Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Hear now the words of the only true and living God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day. And the darkness He called night. And there was evening. And there was morning. The first day. May God bless the reading and the hearing of His holy and infallible word. You may be seated. Let's go to him in prayer together before we begin looking at our passage, asking for his help. 
Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you have gathered us here this morning. We thank you that you have given us opportunity to confess our sins to you, that we might worship you with clear consciences. Thank you for assuring us from your word that all do, who do repent do receive pardon. And we have assurance of that pardon for you who cannot lie have told us that we have it. Father, thank you for calling us to worship you and to receiving it as we offered it up to you in your son's name, in song. And Father, now we wait for you to speak to us, to minister to us, your children, your son's purchased bride, to nourish us, to build us up, to sustain us through your word and spirit. So please, Father, accomplish those things now among us as we go through our passage this morning. Father, we ask these things not only for ourselves, but for our sister churches. This morning, we lift up Bible Fellowship Church in Greentown, Pennsylvania, and Calvary Baptist Church here in Fleetwood, where Pastor Scott is preaching this morning. Father, we ask that you would move and work among our brothers and sisters there, that in your kind providence, as we hope you have here, that you will have brought lost sheep in among them this morning, that you will use the preaching of your word to bring faith, to give faith, to grant repentance, that we would rejoice that today is the day of salvation for some of your lost sheep. Father, help your son's bride to continue your son's labor to seek and to save that which is lost. And Father, we ask that you would do these things among ourselves and among our sister churches, not just this morning, but as we go throughout the week in those places where you have providentially put us, that we would be faithful servants of your kingdom. Father, we also want to lift up our persecuted brothers and sisters throughout the world this morning as well. This morning, we especially want to lift up to you our brothers and sisters in Ukraine who are seeking to do this same ordinary labor of proclaiming your gospel, ministering to widows and orphans, seeking to save that which is lost. And Father, we know that their experience of doing that same labor that we seek to do this morning is very different. Because their experience is very different, we ask that you would sustain them, that you would give them that special grace that they need to endure 
the things that have come upon them and help them to see these things that have come upon them as your kindnesses to them, as hard as that is to imagine, as evil as the things that are happening really are, you have assured them that it is for their good and for your glory. So Father, help them to cling to that truth this morning as they endure persecution. Well, Father, as we turn our own hearts and minds back to our time together this morning, we thank you for your kindnesses to us and ask now that you would help us to hear your word, to be doers of it, to believe it and obey it, and to walk in this world in a manner worthy of the gospel to which you have called us. We ask these things in your Son's name. Amen. King Canute was the king of England and Denmark about a thousand years ago. And there is a story about King Canute that first appeared in the 12th century that speaks to this king's humility. As kings and rulers often find themselves surrounded only by those who will sing their praises, it seems that King Canute had many such servants. And so the story goes that one day at the height of his ascendancy and rule, King Canute ordered, ordered his servants to go down to the seashore and to place his royal chair on the beach while the tide was rolling in. And so the king went to the shore and sat down on his chair. His servants gathered around him, and in front of his servants, the king looked out at the incoming sea and declared to the rising tide, You are subject to me. As the land on which I am sitting is mine, and no one has resisted me with impunity, I command you therefore not to rise on my land, nor to presume to wet the clothing or limbs of your master. Now we know what happened. The sea rolled in. The tide rose. King Canute's feet and the bottom of his garments were drenched with water. And this is what he wanted his servants to see. And King Canute stood up and declared to his servants, Let all the world know that the power of kings is empty, and worthless. And there is no king worthy of the name save him by whose will heaven, earth, and sea obey eternal laws. In the recounting of the story, it is said that after saying these things, King Canute left the seashore and never again wore the royal golden crown on his head, but instead he took it and placed it on a crucifix of Christ. Well, this story illustrates for us one of the fundamental truths that is foundational to the things we are going to be looking at today in our passage as we begin our first point, God creates. That truth is that there is a difference between the Creator and what He has made. 
There is a difference between the Creator and His creatures. Even those mightiest ones that He has made in His image. Creation obeys the will of its Creator. As tides ebb and flow, as the earth spins and the sun rises and falls in our skies, and don't we, haven't we been instructed to pray, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that we and all, thing, all those around us would grow and learn to obey God as the tides as the earth, as the angels in heaven. And though the most powerful men on the planet, kings and presidents, though they may have many schemes, many devices by which they seek to accomplish their own purposes in God's creation, in the end, it is their Creator's purposes that they will inescapably serve. Consider the story of the great king Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel. The king whose dominion had spread to the ends of the earth, but his power, his authority that he had amassed, his actions, his reign, were given to him only to serve God's purposes in judging Israel. And his actions in judging Israel were serving the purposes not just to judge Israel, but to bring Christ into the world so that one day under Roman rule, He might be crucified for the sins of His people. And so what was the great King Nebuchadnezzar? Was he not a tool in the hand of God? And what are powerful angels? at whose sight men fall and tremble. Are we not instructed at the end of Hebrews chapter 1 that they are all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. And even as we consider King Nebuchadnezzar, a tool, a tool in, the, in, in God's own hands, for his own pride, God humbled him until at last this great king said of God, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of earth are accounted as nothing and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth and none can stay his hand. Or say to him, what have you done? Brothers and sisters, we know that it is our God, our Creator's purposes that will stand. Because God has instructed us that not only were all things made by Him, but they were also made for Him. And all things are moving inexorably to Him as all things in heaven and on earth, are being united in His only begotten Son and placed in subjection to Him, the only everlasting, eternal King. When we read about our God creating in our passage this morning, the reality of the situation is that all of this 
that He is creating is from Him, for Him, and to Him. And that just wasn't true in the beginning. But it has also been true ever since. Everything that has ever happened has been from, for, and to, as God has providentially been governing His creation to fulfill the reason for which He created it in the first place. Such that as you consider and look around at your own lives, the issues in your own heart, in your own mind, in your own circumstances, as you look at and consider the things that ebb and flow in your own life, as you look around and consider the issues in the world, the war in Ukraine, or the persecution of Christians in different places in the world, or the liberalization of cultures in the world, beloved, you can look at all of these things and consider all of it and say by faith and with confidence of God's holy word that it is all serving to make Christ's enemies a footstool for His feet, and to unite all things in Himself. And all of this is to say that as we think about our God creating in the beginning, we must have clearly in our minds two categories that never get mixed. We must always think clearly about our Creator and His creation. God is God, and we are not. God is our Creator. And He is the creator of everything in the universe. He is the creator of the universe itself. And as creator of everything, our God is not bound by anything that He has made. But rather in choosing to create the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, He did so for His own purposes, for His own glory. Young children... When you answer that catechism question that's been on the back of your bulletins, why did God make you and all things with? Why did God make you and all things? For His own glory. When you answer that catechism question with for His own glory, you need to be instructed by that and you need to learn that your happiness and your enjoyment of all the good things of creation is not the point of your life. It's not why God created you. You were created not for your own pleasure, but for God's glory. And God does want you to pursue pleasure, but not your own pleasure determined by your flesh or the world around you. The psalmist instructs us about the pleasure that we are to pursue in Psalm 16, 11, when he says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Young and old, the joy that you are to pursue, the pleasure that you are to pursue, is at God's right hand where pleasure is forevermore. And what is at God's right hand? The author of the epistle to the Hebrews instructs us in Hebrews 1 that it is not a what, but rather a who. When he says, after making purification for sins, he, that is Christ, 
sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Young people, learn this lesson and seek to spend your entire life living in accordance with the reason why you have been created for His glory. Don't spend your life on your Kindles or your iPads or your iPhones or your PX5s or Xboxes getting really good at things that don't matter. You should be afraid of doing that. Don't spend your life on these, inter- these devices entertaining yourself to death. Young men, don't consume your lives in gymnasiums or fields trying to be the best at things that don't matter. Let me tell you a secret as someone who did spend his early life doing just that, consuming my time, my life, my energies, my devotions on those things and enjoying them and getting pretty good at most of them. They are fun. They are enjoyable. In moderation, they can be wonderful blessings from God, but they can easily become distractions. They can easily puff you up with pride, and if you do not keep them in their proper place, they will consume your life and become idols that you will need to repent of later on in life. Let me help you see a better way. Spend your life learning how you can glorify this God who made you. Spend your life seeking with all of your heart how you might do so. For your life, though you can't imagine now, is very short. Or as God has told you, is but a vapor. Spend it seeking joy in Christ where pleasure is forevermore. You see, you are limited by when God has made you and how He has made you. And as much as the world is going to tell you otherwise, you cannot transcend your creation. You, unlike our God, are limited and dependent upon Him who has chosen to make Himself known in and through you. And He will do just that. And though we, mankind, are His highest creation, we are still mere creatures subject to God's will and His purposes. And without our Creator's will, without Him having intentions for us, we and everything about us would be like the earth in verse 2. Without form, void, darkness over the face of the deep. For it is only in God and at His pleasure that we live and move and have our being. Let's look at our second point now, God hovers. John Calvin called creation at this point in verse 2 an undigested mass. If you could have been present to look upon Genesis 1, 1 through 2, do you know what you would have seen? Nothing. You wouldn't have seen anything. There wasn't any light. There's only darkness. But if God would have given you the ability to see, you would have seen space containing matter that had not yet been formed. 
had no organization, matter that was empty and void of its purpose. You can also see here in verse 2 that darkness was over the face of the deep. The deep, this earliest ocean in verse 2 is surrounding and covering this formless earth until God speaks to it in days 2 and 3. You see, beloved, the only purpose in this scene of the first two verses of Genesis 1 is the purpose in the mind of God. It was a purpose that would unfold and develop like a blooming flower, a purpose that we will see as we go through the rest of Genesis 1 and through the rest of the book of Genesis. But make no mistake, brothers and sisters, what you look around and see here inside this building today, what you can look around and see when you go outside, what you can look around and see as you look up into the sky or through telescopes into outer space, is only the way that it is because of the divine purpose settled in the mind of God. A purpose that we know is God's decree, and Pastor Quinn is going over with us in Sunday school, a purpose of God's will, a purpose for His good pleasure. The heavens and the earth here in our passage today do not cry out in themselves to be nurtured or upheld or sustained or preserved to their ends as though they had their own will, as though they were some kind of mother earth. They did not cry out to be hovered over by God's Spirit They were brought forth according to the counsel of God's will. And they were brought forth in order for God to accomplish His will. And it is right here that we begin to anticipate God speaking in verse 3. But before we move on to verse 3, notice that here in verse 2, the Spirit is also waiting for this omnipotent speech of God. The Holy Spirit is hovering over the face of the, of the waters, waiting like a mother hen, protecting, sustaining, watching over it until it would be formed and filled with its meaning and put to its purpose. And isn't that the story of Genesis? From the garden tree to Cain and Abel, from the flood to the Tower of Babel, from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not Ishmael and Esau, from Pharaoh and Joseph's dreams, aren't these historical stories of Genesis like a drum constantly beating the themes of God creating, God choosing, God speaking, God hovering, protecting, sustaining, separating, and naming, all until His purposes are accomplished. The beauty that we can see and learn here as we think about the Spirit of God hovering is that God's Spirit waits for God's speech. There is a harmonious whole in the actions of God as the Father speaks the Word that is then accomplished by the Spirit. So let's look at our third point, God Speaks. As we said last week, God created all things from nothing. Creation ex nihilo is a jewel in our God's crown. 
All that has been, is, or ever will be is brought forth, is brought to fruition by the word of His power. Verse 3 is as straightforward as it gets. And God said, and there was. No cosmic struggle. God speaks His powerful declarative word and light comes into being. Think of the awe-inspiring power of God's Word. And as you hear these things, realize that the glories we think of here in creation belong to Christ. Are we not instructed by the Apostle John when he repeats the Word in the beginning? In the opening of his gospel, when he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Beloved, God's Word, God's speech is not only powerful to create the universe, but God has given it in His Word for your Encouragement. His speech in His Word for your encouragement, for your being sustained, for your being sanctified, for your growing in holiness. Hear and ponder this powerful speech of God in Genesis 1 and know that He who created light with just a word also brought you into His kingdom of light through His Word. I almost can't help but to jump into next week's sermon and look at some of the redemptive themes here, but to just give us a glimpse here of these things and think of the Father, the Word, and the Spirit here at the beginning of creation. The Father choosing to create and creating by and through His spoken Word. And that Word being actualized or brought to completion by the hovering Spirit performing and doing and bringing into reality the choices of the Father as known through this Word of the Son. Hear this and think of what we spent time on in Sunday school a few weeks ago talking about the fact that all of our communion with God as His people, all of our comfortable dependence upon Him is founded, is dependent upon the Trinity. Our communion with God determined by the Father's electing choice, the Word's redeeming activity, and the Spirit's applying those things to us in our lives when we heard the Word of truth, the Gospel of our salvation. And friend, if you are here today listening to all of these things, but you do not know Christ, our prayer is that Christ would open your ears and give you ears to hear His speech. Give you eyes of faith to see that right now you are a rebellious creature. You are part of His creation that is in rebellion against Him and as so, you are an object of His wrath. His Word... His speech informs us that you have sinned and fallen short of His glory. Just as we will see happen here in Genesis when we get to chapter 3. You, unbeliever, are condemned this morning as a lawbreaker. 
a breaker of the law of your Creator, the God who requires perfect obedience to His law and has promised to reward lawbreakers like yourself with nothing but the fearful expectation of receiving the wages of sin, which is death and eternal judgment. And friend, these are not just the words of a preacher, but this is the reality of your life. This is what is happening in your life right now as your own sinful desires and Satan schemes to distract you, to raise and grow and nurture doubt in your heart that in the end, you would be destroyed. And so I plead with you to consider this reality before you pass through death's door. Before your Creator snatches your life away from you. Here today of your miserable condition, of your helpless estate, feel the weight of your sin dragging you down through the grave into the flames of hell. Hear these things and mourn so that later you will not weep and gnash your teeth. Hear these things and then hear the good news. If you feel the weight of your sin, you as an object of God's wrath, if you feel that burden, hear now the good news that although God does require perfection, He has sent His only Son into the world to give it. You could never give it. But Jesus lived a perfect life for all of those who would repent of their sin and imperfection. And Jesus delivered justice to God by not only living a perfect life, but by dying on a cross, by bearing the wrath of God that you deserve. By bearing the wrath of God for all of those who would repent of their sins and look to His life, to His death and faith. Friend, hear this this morning and feel the weight of your sin and guilt before God and then turn your eyes and heart to the good news of pardon that is freely offered to you this morning. For when God does snatch your life away from you, you will not be able to stand before Him and say, you did not know. For on April 3rd, 2022, God in His wonderful kindnesses in your life providentially made it so that you would be here this morning hearing His gospel, His offer of pardon. That you would know that according to His word, you are an object of His wrath in need of reconciliation, in need of what I spoke of in the children's bulletin, atonement. And you have heard how you can receive that freely this morning by looking to Christ, repenting of your sins, trusting in Him. And so I pray that you will cry out to God in prayer, confessing your sins, believing in your heart that Christ not only died for your sins, but having borne the wrath of God in your place, He rose from the grave so that you would no longer have God as your condemning judge, but rather He would be 
a loving heavenly father to you. Friend, flee, for, flee to the one who speaks today. Well, not only has God created, not only does He speak, but as we will see in our fourth point this morning, God sees and separates. God's authority to declare something as good, like we see Him do in verse 4, shows that He alone is the judge of what is good and what is evil. God, in other words, is the decider-in-chief. At this point, who is around him? There's no one around other than God to declare, to make a decision about what he has created. God created it. He saw it. He said it was good. Notice in this scene, beloved, that there is nothing outside of God determining this moral judgment that He is making. There is no standard of good external or outside of God that He is looking to to conform His creation of light over there to it. There is nothing that He must bow and submit His will to. God is the one creating and He is creating as He sees fit, as He determines. And as we see in verse 4, God separating light from darkness, we must see that God alone is the one who also gives all things their proper order and function. Because God has chosen to do this, to depart from that order that God has given is an immoral action as we will see as we go through the rest of Genesis. And we must remember that what is happening here in the opening verses of Genesis is that Moses is introducing and instructing Israel about this God who just delivered them from slavery in Egypt. He is instructing them that just as creation has an order, has moral components to it, so does Israel as well as a created covenant community. As Israel is receiving this revelation of God at Mount Sinai, as they learn about the God who has delivered them from slavery, forming them into a covenant people, they must learn that just as God speaks, and it is, just as God sees and has saw them and separates, and as we will see in our last point, just as God names, so too must Israel comply with the covenant order that God gives them at Sinai. For if they rebel against their Creator, this will mean that they will deconstruct, they will devolve, they will be decreated back to the state of things in verse 2 of our passage today. Tohu and bohu, formlessness, void of purpose and meaning, emptiness, death. Brothers and sisters, if you'll just think ahead with me for just a second to the prophets later that God is going to send to Israel before their exile from the promised land. This is why those prophets that God is going to send to them pick up and use this language of formlessness and void of Genesis when they prophesy against Israel. It's why much of their language involves darkening suns things that were built up, being torn down. 
It's why their language, they use the language of formlessness and void, decreation language. Because to reject God's forming in your life, to reject His separating and naming is to be formless and void. You can hear it in passages like Jeremiah 4 where the prophet says, For my people are foolish. They know me not. They are stupid children. They have no understanding. They are wise in doing evil. But how to do good, they know not. And start to hear this decreation language because they are rebellion against the covenant God who created and formed and named them. I looked on the earth and behold, it was without form and void to the heavens and they had no light. I looked on the mountains, and behold, they were quaking, and all the hills moved to and fro. I looked, and behold, and there was no man, and all the birds of the air had fled. I looked, and behold, the fruitful land, the land flowing with milk and honey, the fruitful land was a desert, and all its cities were laid in ruins before the Lord, before His fierce, his fierce anger. For thus says the Lord, the whole land shall be a desolation. Yet I will not make a full end, for this the earth shall mourn, and the heavens above be dark. For I have spoken, I have purposed, I have not relented, nor will I turn back. Beloved, just as God is revealing Himself to Israel in this creation account, He is also instructing Israel through it. He is instructing them that His Word has creative power. And just as God created light and curbed darkness in creation, so too in the post-fall creation, His powerful Word has created them as His covenant people, and His declarative Word to them not only has formed them, but also separates them and instructs them that in the ways that they must go until they fulfill the purpose for which they were made, which is to be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. Israel must realize the implications for their covenant community, their God's wisdom to create and uphold all of creation means that it is their God's wisdom that must be at the foundation of their covenant community. And this leads us to our last point today, God names. In verse 5, we see that God called the light day and the darkness He called night. Again, very simply, what we see happening here in God's activity of naming is that God is showing His superiority, His lordship over these most fundamental elements of creation. God is Lord over the heavens and the earth that He has made. He is Lord over light and darkness. They exist and they function not in conflict, but in subjection to Him. And as the people of Israel hear this at Mount Sinai, they are instructed again that their covenant God has no rivals. Beloved, be instructed by these things as well, not to be taken captive by the vain philosophies of this world that would tell you that you are the determiner of your own identity, of your own gender, 
your own sexual orientation, your own sexual desires, your own way to God. Do not be taken captive by this world that seeks to convince you that you are the determiner of your own destiny. Doing it your way ends in death and destruction. This is the scheme of Satan, and it was the folly of our first parents at the tree. The idea that you are autonomous, that you are independent, that you determine what is good and evil, what is wise and foolish, is not so. Did you determine when you would be born? Did you determine who your parents would be? Where you would live? What century you would live in? What part of the world you would live in? Has God not said that He Himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything, and He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling places? God has determined when you would live. God has determined where you would live. And there's no place where you can go that God has not determined you would go there. God has created you, brothers and sisters in Christ. God has seen you. He has called you. And just as God separated light from darkness, so too He has separated you from the world and He has put His name upon you. As Paul instructs us in 1 Thessalonians 5, you are all children of light. Children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. Brothers and sisters, you are His, bought and redeemed with a price to seek autonomy from Him is to be exiled from the promised land. It is for Israel to desire to return to Egypt. It would be like a dog returning to its vomit. To seek autonomy from your Creator is to deconstruct your faith, which is the modern term. But this is no new thing, for there have always been apostates who denied Christ because they loved their sin and loved this world more than Christ and the one to come. To seek an identity outside of Christ is to listen to the lisp of the serpent when he says, did God really say? Beloved, while we walk through the wilderness of this fallen old creation, we must respond to Satan's lisp as our Savior did in his wilderness temptation. We must declare to him and to the world, it is written. God has created us. His Spirit hovers over us. His Spirit indwells us and is building us up and sustaining us. He has spoken to us. He sees us. He has separated us and put His name upon us. He has made us a holy priesthood of His kingdom. He gives us our name, Christian. He gives us our identity, new man, new creature, New creation in Christ. Beloved, just as Israel 
must have heard these words and needed to realize that when they were tempted by the nations that were going to surround them with their false gods, they must remember these words and know that they must not bow down to the gods of the nations around them or serve them, for Yahweh their God is a jealous God. And so too He is with you. He is a God who visits the iniquity of those who hate Him unto the children of the third and fourth generation, but shows steadfast love and kindness to thousands of generations of them that love Him and keep His commandments, as He teaches us in the second commandment. So too, beloved, you also must hear and remember these things when you are daily tempted by the culture around us by the religions of this world. As we prepare to enter into a time of reflection on these things that we've heard today, remember that these things, beloved, were written for your benefit. God's status as creator and sustainer of creation is the foundation of His qualification to oblige us to live in harmony with His created order as revealed in His Word. From these very first words of the Holy Scripture, the infinite, eternal God in whose image we have been created is revealing Himself to us through His Word and His actions. Believing these words, loving these words, longing for these words, longing for more of them, living and ordering our lives according to these words are not good ideas. They are moral actions with consequences for doing so and consequences for not. This God who first reveals Himself and His creative actions here in Genesis 1 will progressively reveal Himself through His inscripturated words and will finally and fully reveal Himself in the incarnate Word, Jesus Christ our Sovereign, our King, who right now, seated at the right hand of the Father, is ruling over us, His people, here at the Gathering Church. Brothers and sisters, as we think about Genesis 1, creation by our Divine Sovereign is not primarily a scientific or philosophical inquiry. It is a moral question put to you. The world wants you to believe that God's status as Creator is worthy of speculation and doubt. But God insists. There is no such thing as neutrality. God insists that doubting is not a virtue. It is a vice. For you will have to answer God's question to you. Will He be true, though every man a liar? Will you believe and obey and follow Him, though none go with you? Or will you be taken captive by vain philosophies, empty deceits, and human cunning that are not according to Christ? You see, unbelieving friend, brothers and sisters in Christ, either way you go, you cannot escape God fulfilling His purposes for creating you. Either He will glorify Himself in having mercy upon you, 
or He will glorify Himself, and all creation in the end will praise Him for exercising justice upon you. But either way, you will not be neutral. You will serve the purpose for which He has created. Brothers and sisters in Christ, hear of this God who creates, who hovers, who speaks, who sees, who separates, who names, and know that just as sure as the tides ebb and flow, this God, your God, loves you. And He is ordering everything in this world to your salvation. He is going about the business of sustaining you and seeing to it that you will inherit the eternal, immeasurable riches which no mind has conceived of. That is what He is doing for you, beloved. That is what your Savior purchased for you, beloved, in His life and in His death. And God has proven to you that He has received that on your behalf by raising Him from the grave. Let's pray. Our Father, we come to You thankful that You have created us. That in Your kindness in our lives while we were dead in our trespasses and sins, carrying out the desires of our bodies and mind, objects of Your wrath like the rest of mankind, that You graciously sustained us, hovered over and protected us until You spoke to us and brought us to faith as we heard Your powerful Word and as Your Spirit moved in our life. God, we thank You for seeing us and separating us from this world that is perishing. We thank You for placing Your name upon us, for giving us an inheritance in Your Son of a new creation where pleasures are forevermore at Your right hand where for all eternity we will know the joy of singing songs of praise to You. We will know the joy of sinless living. We will know the joy of not having our flesh being at war with our spirit. We will know the joy of not having to repent. We will know the joy of that division between the heavenly, unseen realities being torn down, that in our flesh we will behold God. Thank You, Father, for purchasing these things for us in Your Son. We ask, Father, that as we meditate on Your creation of light here in Genesis 1, and you separating it from darkness. That you would so work 
and move in us and work among us that we'd be nourished and strengthened by it. And that today or in the days and weeks and months to come, that you would conform us to the image of your Son, that all aspects of our lives would seek to serve Him. Where our joy is found, where pleasures are forevermore. Father, help us in all these ways. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.